Hello, everybody. Am I on here? Can you hear me all right? Yeah. All right, good. Good to see you all. I hope you do stick around. It, it'll be an hour and a half, maybe two hours with lunch included. It'll be really interactive. I'm gonna activate you in your faith. If you're someone here who's like, man, I'd love to make more of a difference in my faith with the people around me. We are going to get into it in an interactive, fun, engaging, communal way. You will not be bored, I promise. Well, that's a big promise, but I promise you will not. It'll be fun, so stick around. And uh, my hope today is to inspire us uh, to engage the mission of God. Uh, quickly about me, I, I think there's a slide that will go up right now. Family slide, family slide. Thank you, sir. Is it there? It's there. So I'm married to Christina. I have three kids. This is actually an old picture. Noah, who's nine now, Sophia, who's seven, and uh, Wesley, who's actually four. Uh, we recently just moved to Louisiana. We've been West Coasters the whole, our whole life. We work for an organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Anyone familiar with that organization? Okay, well, InterVarsity is on 700 campuses and in 49 states in America, but not in Louisiana. Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? So they asked if we would move to Louisiana and restart the InterVarsity work there. So we've just done that in the last year. Big transition. But I say that because I didn't grow up with any religion. I, I came to college, University of San Diego, on a golf scholarship. And I would say I was going for the golf and the girls. And, um, and then I meet God right there on campus and I come to faith. So it is my passion to help people know how to talk about their faith. It's my passion to help people connect with Jesus. So if you're in this room and you're trying to figure out who is Jesus and should I follow him, gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I know where you're at. I've been there. And if you're in this room and you're like, I wish that I knew how to, to have a little more boldness. I wish I could be a little more out with my faith. I wish I could help expand the kingdom of God more. Gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I want to help you. I want to activate you. And so with that, um, if you hit the next slide, it didn't always start with three kids and a nice family picture. This is when I first was trying to win Christina into my life. Um, as a young man, maybe just freshly out of college, and if I was to stop right there real quick and say, when is a time in your life when you really wanted something and you were going to do whatever it took to get it? Can you think of something like that? A time in your life when you really wanted something and you were going to do whatever it took to get it. You, you got something that's coming to mind? You got something? You, oh, okay, it's her, yeah. Well, for me, for me, it was Christina. And the way this story goes, it's, it's a funny, awkward, twisted story. And the, the fact of the matter is, I was a junior in college, and she was actually a minister on staff with our ministry. And she was preaching, and all of a sudden, I was love-struck by her. I've got to have that girl in my life. Well, soon I find out that, well, for good reason, staff can't date students. That would probably violate some rules and some uh, integrity policies and things like that. So here I was stuck as a junior in college, falling in love with this woman, and I have 18 months until I graduate. That's a problem. <laughs> but I was determined we are going to find a way to date this woman, okay? I couldn't transfer. 
my credits didn't work right to get my degree, so I have to wait, I have to wait, I have to wait. All the leadership changes. It's now my senior year in college. It's February, and I go to her boss, and I say, look, I'm graduating in May. I think we need to actually have a conversation now so there's kind of a runway so it's not quite so awkward when I graduate and we start dating her. Well, I caught this new boss off guard, and she goes, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So she sets up this meeting, and it is the most awkward meeting ever. <laughs> Why? We're in a boardroom, for one. That's weird. Long table. I'm here. Christina's there. One boss is there. One boss is there. We sit down, and the boss says, well, Bo's called this meeting because he wants to share some things in his heart. And Christina says, why are we even here? <laughs> we are here because I'm going to get what I want. No, I didn't say that. So we're here because obviously we had feelings for each other 15 months ago. And my plan is to date you when I graduate. And that's why we're here. You feel the pain? And the boss says, that's awesome. Well, how do you feel about that, Christina? And she goes, I have no idea how I feel about that. And I'm painfully sitting there going, no, 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 this cannot happen. And we continue to have a conversation. The, the, the history is written. We end up getting married. You see we have our three kids. But it started with this brutal, kind of awkward, there's probably different feelings in this room of, gosh, that seems painful. Or some of you are like, man, I really admire your uh, boldness there to go after what you want. Some of you are like, Hey, haven't you ever heard of that book, She's Just Not That Into You? Uh, that's what my family was saying to me all the time in that season. It was like, she's just not into you, man. Just let it go. I go, no, no, no. I've got to have this. And so the story works out. And I start that way to say, relationships aside, jokes aside, um, what does it look like to go after Jesus for the sake of another? That's what I want to talk about today. What does it look like to risk? What does it look like to say, I want that, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it? I'm going to have the awkward meeting. I'm going to set up the conversation. I'm going to risk maybe looking foolish to the people around me because I really want that. You know, in a funny way with my wife, who's my wife now, I was like, I want to have her in my life. So if I have to have some weird conversations or have people keep telling me it's not going to happen, I don't care. I want that. And today, what I want to look at is, what does that look like in the kingdom of God? As you look at your mission statement to expand the kingdom in you and to the places around you, what does it look like to be someone who says, I want this for another person, and I'm going to do what it takes to see it happen? How do we have that boldness? How do we have that tenacity? Um, how do we have that kind of faith that would make us move out in radical ways that would be, and sometimes maybe people would look and go, that's painful. Other times might look and go, gosh, that seems a little awkward. Other times they might say, wow, that person's radical. What kind of faith does that look like? And I want to turn our attention to Mark chapter 2. It's one of the first stories in the gospel of Mark. Um, I'm reading through from the New King James Version because I just like this translation. I don't usually, for this story, I don't usually use this translation. The ESV is very good. Um, but I'm going to read to you from this. And here it says, again, he entered Capernaum after some days. 
I'll let you keep getting to Mark 2. It's on there too. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days. He was just in Capernaum and he was doing a ton of healing ministry. So already in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's getting a reputation for a healer and someone with incredible power. And it was heard he was in the house. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, in the house? Okay. Can we say that together? In the house? In the house. It was heard that he was in the house, he being Jesus. Immediately, which the Gospel of Mark says that word many times, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, kind of like today. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they went home. No. 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 Be when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Awkward. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Incredible story. Jesus is in the house. It's packed out. And these guys have this paralytic person. We don't know if it's their friend. We don't know if it's someone they just saw lying on the ground as they were on their way to the packed house. Either way, they're carrying him and they get there. They're a little bit late, at least later than everyone else. And it is full. You can't even get in, not even near the door. And instead of saying, okay, let's go home. Let's come back another day. There's so much urgency. There's so much faith. There's so much expectation. There's so much belief in these guys that they say, we're going to break open the roof. That's crazy. Like, they're carrying a guy, four of them, that cannot walk, and they actually have to go up the side of the house. The way the houses would have been made, they would have been kind of square, rectangle-ish, and on the side, they would have had a staircase, and you could go up on the flat roof, dig through the mud, sticks. They were kind of uh, thatched together. They would have literally busted open the roof and then put this guy in. Think about for a minute what that would have looked like if you were a spectator. Who are these guys? Like, if you really want to see Jesus, get here on time. You know? wait, wait in line. Like, you're vandalizing someone's house. That's not very Christian. I mean, who knows what they were feeling, but these guys are so radical to get this paralyzed person before Jesus because they had heard that he was in the house. Can you say he heard he was in the house? Do we believe today that Jesus is in the house? Do we believe that Jesus is still alive and working today? Do we have the kind of urgency in us that says, gosh, whatever it takes, whatever I need to do, whatever it might look like, whatever I have to break open, whatever crowd I got to go past, I want to see people around me come to faith. I want to see people around me healed. I want to see people around me forgiven. What's so crazy about this story, which we're not even going to be able to unpack fully, is that he came for healing. They, they brought him for healing, yet he gets his sins forgiven. And it's not his faith. It's not even the, the, the paralyzed guy's faith 
that gets his sins forgiven. It's the friends. There is something about our lives as believers when we are living in faith and we are living in boldness that actually can activate God to move on behalf of other people. That is intense. That is an incredible thought to meditate on that there is a way you can act in faith towards Jesus on behalf of another that will actually move God to work in their life. Let me say that again. There is a way that you can act in faith towards Jesus on behalf of another that can activate God to move in their life. That is an incredible thought that we must think about, ponder, put in our hearts. But the question I want to ask today is how do we become the kind of people um, that have this tenacity, that have this boldness, um, that, that actually take it in our courts to say, if I see a crowd, I'm not going to turn around. And, and the phrase I like to use today, you can write down is, are, are we going to turn it around or are we going to turn it up? You going to turn it up or are you going to turn it around? These guys chose to turn it up instead of turn it around. Jesus was in the house. Jesus was the one that needed to meet this guy. This guy had incredible pain and brokenness in his life, physically speaking, obviously spiritually too, because his sins were forgiven. And they said, we cannot come back tomorrow. We are not going to turn around because there's a crowd. We're actually going to turn it up and we're going to take extra measures to get before Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we become the kind of person that turns it up in the face of crowds instead of turning it around like most of us would do every day in our life? There's two things. The first one is burden. I think if we want to be a kind of person that turns it up in the face of crowds and turns up our faith on behalf of another, we have to increase our burden for our friends and the people around us. And when I say increase, I mean take go, go into prayer, go into relationship with God and, and ask, can you give me a greater love, burden, capacity for other people around me? In this culture, for there to be a paralyzed man on the side of the road, or in general in society, it would have been a sign of outcast, of sin, of something is wrong. Think about the kind of burden these four men had to not only reach down and touch him, but to pick him up, to carry him in front of public people. I mean, in a packed house, a very public arena. Not only that, but then to say, well, we're actually going to look like fools to bring this man before Jesus. You can see why Jesus says it's your faith that's making this guy forgiving. They had incredible burden is what I'm reading into it. They were like, we care about this guy. We care that he would actually have healing. We care that he would have freedom. And what I want to ask us today, church, is how much do we care for the people around us? How much do you care for the valley here? Um, I know for me, being new in Louisiana, one of the cities um, that I'm working with is New Orleans. And there are seven college campuses in New Orleans that I'm learning to care for and raise up student partners. So if some of you want to come to New Orleans, seniors, I would gladly train you and uh, deploy you on the college campuses there. But I'm learning to care for that place, and it is a difficult place. Okay, I have had countless people come to me and say, this is one of the darkest cities in America. <laughs> Do you know the history of voodoo and witchcraft that is in this city? 
Uh, are you prepared this way and this way and that way? Because you better be ready for, you know, or people just do weird stuff down there or you, you start ministry and then for one reason or another, someone leaves. I mean, it has not been an easy place to be doing ministry. And I've found myself actually getting frustrated with New Orleans. I don't want to be in New Orleans. I don't like New Orleans. New Orleans is dark. New Orleans doesn't feel good. And what I've recently had the Lord saying to me is, I'm not giving you that agitation so you can quit or go somewhere else. I'm giving you that agitation so you can increase your burden for the city. How many people are praying for this city? There's probably a lot. I don't mean to say I'm the only one, but will you pray for this city? Will you care for the city? Will you see the brokenness of the city? Will you see the brokenness of the people? Will you long for me to do revival work here? Um, if you go to Ezekiel 37, there's a cool scene where um, the Spirit brings Ezekiel into the Valley of Dry Bones to see the death in the bones. There's a huge part in seeing breakthrough with Jesus uh, where we have to see the brokenness. We have to have the burden. We have to care. If we're going to be the kind of people that get to experience Jesus' healing in the people around us, we have to become the kind of people that increase our burden for the places we're in. Don't avoid the difficult places. Don't avoid the frustrating places. Don't avoid the sticky places. Go into them. Let your heart increase. Let your burden grow. Because as that happens, boldness is going to shoot out. You're going to care. You're going to do something. You're going to take extraordinary measures. The word I would have for you today is, where's that place you feel stuck? Where's that place that's agitating you that maybe in a worldly sense you would say, just forget about it. Move on. It's not worth my time. But the Holy Spirit might be saying, it's exactly worth my time. Press in. Where's that place for you? There's lots of people that would have walked by this paralyzed man and said, that's not worth my time. We've got to get to the house. Jesus is there. But they were burdened to say, let's pick them up and let's bring them. Who are the people that God's calling you to have a burden for? Who are the people that God's asking you to fight for? Who, who, who are the people that God's asking you to be, to be humiliated on behalf of, to carry before Jesus and say, I'm here and this might look weird, but we believe you want to do something in this person's life. Where does God need to increase your burden? The second thing is uh, not just burden. We don't just need to increase our burden if we're going to turn it up. We actually need to increase our belief our belief in Jesus to heal. I think what's incredible about these guys, and I've mentioned a few of these verses, they had heard Jesus was in the house. They'd heard it. There's this anticipation. There's this excitement that you feel in the scripture if you meditate, like we have got to get there. They have this incredible expectation and belief that Jesus wants to heal again. They just heard about him healing days before, weeks before. We don't know how long the time is, but in chapter one, he had been healing. And they have this faith that, oh my gosh, if we get this guy before Jesus, he is going to change something. He's going to do it. He's the only answer. And my question to us in here is, do we really believe Jesus is the only answer? I mean, do we really believe that Jesus is in the house? Do we really believe Jesus can heal? I mean, come on, we play church games so much, not even on purpose, but we get in a rhythm, a religious rhythm of go to church, do my quiet time, be in my small group. We don't even mean to, but we have to stop sometimes and say, where's my belief? 
Do I believe Jesus can heal? Do I believe Jesus can forgive sins? Do I believe Jesus is the only answer for this broken, dark, hurting, sinful place in my life or the other people's lives around me? Do I really believe? Unless this gets before Jesus, there's no way anything is going to change. I think these guys believe that. They didn't turn around that day because they thought this guy has no hope if he does not get in front of Jesus. Can you imagine what this church would look like if the faith level in here is, if, unless my friends get before Jesus, there is no hope. Unless Jesus shows up in their life, there is no hope. We have incredible burden. We have incredible belief. And what happens, if we see the next slide, is that it leads to incredible boldness. Burden plus belief creates boldness. Um, we become bold Christians. Uh, we become people that risk on behalf of Jesus uh, when our burden or our belief increases. If both increase, more boldness. If one increases, more boldness. And I know you're all um, coming back together as one location um, to care about the whole valley. And you're regrouping, you're rethinking. Uh, the, the image I had for you all is like a spring recoiling to shoot back out. And you're here. And what I believe Jesus is doing with all of you is he's increasing both of these things. He wants to increase your burden for the valley. Um, he wants to increase your belief in him. And he's going to shoot you back out with a new kind of boldness and expectancy that breaks roofs. Um, that breaks through crowds. I don't know what it's going to look like. But here's the thing that might sound really exciting to some of you and devastating to others of you. You're going to look weird. Just deal with that or, or, or hang up your Christian cleats. Like the reality is if, if you're going to increase your burden for the people around you and your faith in Jesus increases, you're going to encounter crowds all the time. Crowds are going to be in front of your broken problem and Jesus is healing. Whether it's a person that you're carrying before Jesus or it's your own brokenness, there are going to be crowds that stand between the brokenness and the healing. And guess what? We have got to get around it. And I don't mean to say that there aren't times to be patient and wait on God. I don't mean to say that it's all about our effort. But what I do mean to say in this passage, they were creative. They were tenacious. They were bold. They, took no, they did not take no for an answer. And they said, we are going to find a way to get this person in front of Jesus. My hope, my prayer, I know the pastor's hope and prayer of this church is that you would look like these kind of people that say, we're not taking no for an answer. We are getting our friends before Jesus. And that looks like the kind of church that sees transformation. There's healing. There's sins forgiven. There's lives transformed because others have laid down their life in order to bring people before the living God that can forgive sins and can also heal. Let me leave you with this, and then I'm going to invite you to respond. Um, one of my favorite stories for me uh, about this area um, is when I uh, was on the golf team in college, I told you I went there for a golf scholarship. Well, after my sophomore year, I was really sensing the Lord ask me to leave my team and to become an RA, resident advisor. Anyone know about that? Okay, and um, it was March. It had already been selected. Uh, housing had already been doled out, and I felt like I was supposed to leave the team and become an RA. So I did it, and I went to one of the resident directors. They're the boss of the resident advisors. 
And they said, all of our spots are selected and we have a waiting list of 10. I go, can I please just fill out an application and can I please um, just submit it to you and let's just see what happens. I really believed I was supposed to become an RA and there was this crowd, right? No, it's full, 10, 10 waiting lists deep, don't waste your time. He said, fine, you wanna turn in, you can. I worked 12 hours in a row, filled out that beast of an application, submitted it. The following week, I got a call. We actually had some people drop out, but it's the worst dorm on campus and we need a male resident advisor. Would you be interested in interviewing? It was my favorite dorm because it's the wildest dorm. And I said, absolutely, I'd like to interview. Had the job by the end of the week. Isn't that crazy how God works? So I go into the season, I'm going into my junior year, and I'm taking it so seriously, burden and belief. I have all the guys' names listed out, 31 of them. I'm praying for them by name. I'm fasting for them. I'm asking God to move. And I'm believing that Jesus is in the house. He is in this dorm. He is going to work. He is going to heal. He is going to save. And we start off the year, and I decide we're going to throw a huge party. So we do. We throw a themed party. We have Gatorade kegs and root beer kegs and loud music. We wanted to fill the dorm with all the freshmen. We had 400 freshmen come through that dorm. Okay? And these guys were like, this is the coolest. We're the best dorm. And then I sit them down at our meeting and I go, you know what? We also do Bible study Monday nights. Be here. It's what every freshman does on this campus. It's a little lie, but... <laughs> 21 of those 31 guys showed up to my Bible study, okay? Many of them never been in a Bible study. Many of them never been in scripture. I was so pumped. But then week after week, it started going like this. And I was like, man, I feel like the biggest failure. This isn't working. What did I do wrong? We, I ended the semester with three or four guys in my study. I tried everything. I played poker with them. I watched videos with them. I played video games. We did Bible study. I was faithful. And I was so mad coming out of that semester. God, you didn't do anything. What a waste of my time. This, doesn't, this equation doesn't work. No guy got healed right now, right? And some of us might be feeling that. And then two years ago, Three years ago, I don't know when it was, I get this message on Facebook. Anyone heard of Facebook? Anyone yeah. using Facebook? Okay. I get this little messenger thing, and here's what it says. It has been years, but I was on your floor when you were an RA at San Miguel, and I was a freshman some nine years ago. Nine years ago. I just wanted to say hello and let you know that I really appreciate what you did for us as you and some more guys poured into us in Bible study and fellowship that year. It might not have looked like anything happened. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but in time, God watered the seeds you guys planted, and eventually I came to faith, and now I am helping in leadership at a church plant in San Diego. So just a little encouragement for you, and thank you for ministering the grace of God to college kids. Come on, right? You might be called to burden for someone and boldly bring them before Jesus in belief, and it might happen in a moment. I could tell you lots of stories of seeing people come to faith and getting healed in the moment, but it might not either. I don't know. It might take nine years. It might take 20 years. It might not. What I do know is that if a church, if an individual is willing to lay down their self, their own life, lay down your life for the sake of the gospel and follow Jesus and burden and care for other people and allow your faith to rise in a way that says, I'm going after Jesus with everything I have 
on behalf of that burden. Things are going to happen. Some of you are going to have stories in a moment. Some of you are going to have stories in five years. Some of you are going to have stories in nine years, in 15 years. There's going to be lots of exciting things that happen while there's going to be lots of confusing and devastating things that are happening. The reality is the kingdom of God is going to expand, and that's how it expands. That's how Jesus meets people, and that's what I want to invite us to pray into today. If you are a Christian in this room, I want to invite you to increase your burden and your belief in Jesus, to actually come to God in confession and say, I don't care much about people. I don't care much about the valley. I need more. I can't have a human heart and human attitude about this. Give me more. Or come before God and say, I don't really believe you're in the house. I don't really believe you're tangibly here by the power of your spirit to heal and forgive. I need greater awareness. I need spiritual insight and eyesight so that I'm aware that you're here. So I act as if you're here and ready to move. If you're a Christian here, you need to, to come into a time of confession and ask God to increase those things in you. But if you're not a Christian here, I want to invite you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus in your life. If you have never started a relationship with Jesus or you're here and you're broken or you're unforgiven, I want to tell you what, in the same way those guys pushed through the crowd and broke through the roof, Jesus Christ himself pushed through the crowd of this world and broke through the roof of salvation by coming on the cross. And he hung himself on the cross and he took on the wrath of God that's against you and your sin. He took it all on and said, pay, pay, pay your sin on me. God, put your anger on me. Put, put your, the, the unforgiveness towards them on me. And on that cross, he took your and my sin. He took your and my brokenness. And then he was buried in the grave to be remembered no more. But then he rose from the dead and he gave new life for forgiveness of sin, for healing. So you and I can rise and walk in faith and in relation with God, just like this man got to rise and walk. And so if you're here and you haven't received forgiveness of your sin or you need a relation with Jesus, he pushed through the crowd for you already. He's here to say, son, your sins are forgiven. He is here to say, daughter, your sins are forgiven. He's here to do that for you because it was his faith that paid that for you. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it was his faith to go to the cross and say, Father, put it on me. So if you need relation with God, if you need forgiveness of sin, if you need healing, Jesus is in the house today ready to meet you in prayer and to say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Please don't wait. Please come before him. Let your faith rise up. Let your faith be greater than your fear. Let your faith be greater than your sight. Say yes to Jesus. Come home today. Let me pray for us. I'm going to hand it off to Derek. God, thank you that you are in the house. Thank you that expectation is rising. Thank you that you are ready to heal. You are ready to forgive. Um, God, you're ready to baptize people today um, and to see new life literally uh, be shown in a physical way. And we ask that if any of us in this room need to receive your forgiveness, would we do that? Would we welcome you in and say yes to the forgiving work of you, Jesus, on the cross? Would we say yes to the power of your Holy Spirit? And for those of us in the room that need more boldness, that need more burden, would we just come to you humbly and confess and ask you to move and ask you to increase our capacity? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.